Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the second wave of the coronavirus steers the country into uncertain waters. No one knows exactly what is going to work. So there are some gray zone and people are doing slightly different things. Um, so, but I think it is important. I think people, there are some absolute basics that everybody should be hearing to and which we keep repeating all the time and they do work. The Prime Minister responds to accusations of systemic racism in the care system. As a government, uh, we've been very, very clear from the beginning that systemic racism exists uh, and it's a problem right across the country in all of our institutions and we all uh, must do more to address it, to respond to it, counter it, uh, and to make sure that every Canadian is treated properly uh, in, uh, by all of our institutions. And Elizabeth May calls on Jagmeet Singh to offer the new leader of the Green Party a better chance at winning a seat in Parliament. I'd like Jagmeet Singh to think about it. I'd like new Democrats to reach out to him and say how classy is it to try to block the entry to the House of Commons of the first black woman leader of a federal political party. It's Tuesday, October the 6th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Susan, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Let's talk about this second wave and uh, how it is developing in several parts of the country, including Ontario and Quebec. Uh, And the the chief public health officer yesterday used the term uncertain waters to describe what's going on. This is... Uh, I know there are aspects of this that many people are not surprised about with the return to school and other activities this fall. And there was always a prediction that there would be a second wave in the fall. Um, So there are elements of this that are not surprising, but obviously there are parts of it that even public health officials find uh, unpredictable. So where are we at this point? Well, we're in a really difficult part because it involves making choices now. Um, the, the early stage of the pandemic was just, let's shut everything down. You know, it's a pretty easy decision for every political leader and public health officer to make was, let's kill this thing with a sledgehammer. But now, um, with um, they're, they're learning they're going to have to juggle things. You know, and you're seeing tension emerge, for example, between the city of Toronto and the province of Ontario um, over how much should restaurants be shut down. Um, Because they are trying to do, as Theresa Tam said yesterday at the briefing, they're trying to do a targeted approach now. They are trying to localize where COVID is and so that they avoid a mass shutdown and avoid another spring. I'm not convinced, and I don't think anybody is convinced that that's going to work, but I think that's what they're talking about now, is difficult choices have to be made by political leaders and public health officers. They don't know the consequences of their choices, and this is all aimed at doing something a little more subtle and sophisticated than they did in the spring. And that means, you know, mistakes are going to be made, guaranteed mistakes are going to be made in this in this second wave. The Prime Minister himself was tested again recently after he had what he described as a tickle in his throat, and he tested negative. Um, uh, I know you've been writing about this. Uh, It it shows how how close to home this story is. Of of course, we've got a, a world leader in the United States, the President, who has 
nobody has missed that storyline, uh, what's been playing out there with his positive test and his trip to the hospital. Um, but we, we ne- very nearly could have had the same thing here in Canada. Yeah, it, it, um, it, all, all weekend I was kind of struck, if, if you, it's possible not to be struck by what is going on in the United States. But it is really interesting to watch in the United States the level of expectation of disclosure about the health of their leaders. You know, I can't imagine a time where we would see a team of doctors coming out and talking to reporters about the blood oxygen levels of our prime minister. You know, Um, there were all kinds of criticisms in the States, rightly so, that mixed stories were coming out. But there were were stories, there were details. People were talking about Trump's health. And I found it a really interesting contrast yesterday that after a a weekend in which we have dissected almost every detail of Trump's health, uh, except the truth probably, um, that, that we only learned a month and a bit later that Justin Trudeau had a COVID test. During the spring when COVID was actually in his household with his wife, people did ask him every day, why aren't you getting a COVID test? Have you had one? Uh, and his answers were minimal. And and I think it's another uh, way for us to look at the differences uh, between Canada and the United States, not just on COVID, but on on what we expect of our political leaders by way of openness. So that's what I wrote about yesterday, and I uh, there's been some discussion about it on social media too. Yeah, it's interesting because on that kind of information, there is there is a lot more information available. I remember there was a storyline where Stephen Harper went to the hospital. Uh, very early on when he was prime minister, uh, and uh, the the Ottawa Citizen reported it, and there was a lot of backlash over the fact that they actually reported it, even though, again, if it had been the American president at the time, it it would have been automatic that it would have been reported. Very definitely. He was filmed going to emergency. It was just slightly before he was sworn in, but he was allegedly furious about this. But I, I think the biggest debate we've had about this in Canada, and it was never settled, um, was how much we were supposed to know about Jack Layton's health when he went into that election campaign as a cancer sufferer and maintained he was well. But reporters asked daily, are you okay to do this? And then he died uh, three months later. And there there was a lot of discussion about should we have some kind of system in Canada where you have to give some kind of assurances about your fitness for office? And, you know, we don't have our prime minister going for his annual physical and making the, the, the results public. But when you think about it, too, we've had two opposition leaders who've had COVID tests, and that was kind of all we heard about it. You know, yeah. they and they self-isolated, and, but, but we... Some of us, I'm I'm torn myself, I'm ambivalent. I kind of like the idea that we are private people and allow our leaders private lives, but you you do wonder what system we have in place for fitness for office, especially as we watch this... Circus unveiling, uh, sort of unfolding in the United States mm. at the moment. All right, let's talk about a question the Prime Minister responded to yesterday about accusations of systemic racism in the healthcare system. This arises out of a story in Quebec involving an Indigenous woman and the treatment uh, that that she received and and the evidence of of racism there. Uh, he recommitted to eliminating systemic racism, acknowledging it, working with the premiers. Uh, what do you think about that story? Well, uh, the, the thing about systemic racism is that it it it's not public; it's it's hidden. So, 
finding it and rooting it out is is a, a project, a huge project, and it's not just it's just not a response to one story. I thought that it was interesting the way the prime minister was asked the question was, "What are you going to do about it?" And the prime minister is limited. He's been telling us this, and it, this is a source of tension, is how much the federal government can start meddling around in provincial affairs. Can it start setting conditions or putting strings on the money it is giving to the provinces right now? And uh, he danced around that subject, and there was no, uh, it, it wasn't focused right on that issue of strings attached. But I think any discussion of this, the federal government, trying to cure a provincial a problem in a provincial area of jurisdiction is going to run into the same old arguments that we had before COVID struck. Mm. All right. Uh, finally, the new leader of the Green Party, Annamie Paul, spoke with the media yesterday, and there were calls from Green Party members for the other parties to let her run largely unopposed in a by-election in order to get a seat in the House of Commons, which is a tradition that to some extent has existed in Canadian politics for the main political parties, although sometimes it has not been followed. Um, But does it apply to the Green Party? Should it apply to the Green Party? I think that's part of the question here. Yeah, and I think, you know, there there are all kinds of people. It's sort of a a tradition when we want it to be, and it's not a tradition. I think there are a couple of times the the Liberals stood down. I think when Stéphane Dion... Um, ran the Liberal Party, he actually made a pact with Elizabeth May about running, uh, not running Greens and when she was running out east, you know, that uh, running Liberals against right. her out east. Uh, so sometimes it's a tradition and sometimes it's not. It's a little late in the day. The by-elections are on October 26th uh, to uh, to pull candidates. I think the parties have actually all run there. I think... Uh, it, it's a liberal-held riding. It used to belong to Bill Morneau, uh, and Annamie Paul is going to have a, an uphill battle to get that seat, and she said she'd run in others. Um, but this is a minority parliament, and not a lot of people quit in minority parliaments. It's her probably her best chance of getting elected is in a general election, and who knows when that's going to be. I do think she does need to get elected, and in the House of Commons, because as we've seen... Uh, there's there's been a constant there's been a constant conversation. No insult against Elizabeth May, but Elizabeth May staying as the parliamentary leader has basically meant that she was still the green leader, even though they've had an interim one right. since uh, January. So I think Enemy Paul has got to get into the House of Commons, if only to say she is the new Elizabeth May. She is not an addition to Elizabeth May. Uh, they they can't have two party leaders forever. All right, great stuff, Susan. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. That's Susan Delacorte, columnist for the Toronto Star. As a government, uh, we've been very, very clear from the beginning. Systemic racism exists, uh, and it's a problem right across the country in all of our institutions, and we all uh, must do more to address it, to respond to it, counter it, uh, and to make sure that every Canadian is treated properly uh, in uh, uh, by all of our institutions. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Janet Smiley, Diane Smiley, and Lisa Richardson argue racism in the medical system goes far beyond a few bad apples. 
They write, While it's important to identify individual practitioners who engage in behaviors that are racist, it is more important to hold healthcare institutions accountable so they are compelled to make critical changes. We already have numerous public reports citing evidence-based knowledge of what needs to happen to produce tangible change. To eradicate anti-Indigenous discrimination in hospitals, we need to recognize and fight it the same way we do infection. In the Hamilton Spectator, Mohamed Faki argues hateful voices in Canada have become louder, but we cannot let them win. He writes, The intolerant have become more open about their prejudice. Some feel emboldened by the President of the United States, who in front of tens of millions of people refused to condemn white supremacy. We must not allow ourselves to become silent witnesses to hate. But it is not enough to speak out. Our leaders must also take action to protect innocent citizens and defend the Canadian values of fairness, inclusion, and justice. At Policy Options, Alex Himmelfarb, Andrew Jackson, and Brian Topp argue the current tax system won't pay for COVID recovery. They write, The rock-bottom cost of debt for the federal government means that for the next few years, spending can be dictated by what people need to weather this storm. But a transformation of this size also requires a permanent increase in public sector supports and programs, which cannot be funded indefinitely through deficit spending. A well-balanced, well-designed, and fair tax system can support a society, but our current tax system misses the mark. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Parliamentary Budget Officer will release a report this morning looking at a federal project with an almost billion-dollar price tag. CPAC's Martin Stringer reports on what to watch for in this analysis of the Federal Super Clusters Initiative. Mark, in 2017, in the budget, the Trudeau government allocated $918 million for what it called the Innovation Super Clusters Initiative. The plan had a lofty goal of creating tens of thousands of jobs and tens of billions of dollars of economic activity by creating superclusters. Now, those superclusters would gather together academic and research institutions, private enterprise, financial institutions, and they would all be spurred by government seed money. There were five superclusters announced, uh, and they involved winning submissions, and they were announced in 2018. Uh, the spending was supposed to go on on a year-by-year basis. The five superclusters involved were, first of all, a next-generation manufacturing supercluster based in Ontario, a digital technology supercluster based in B.C., a protein industries supercluster based in the prairies, an oceans supercluster based in Atlantic Canada, and lastly, an AI, an artificial intelligence supercluster based in Quebec. Now, the thing is, though, only a fraction of the monies laid out to be spent has been dispersed. And so a lot of people are asking where these grandiose projects are going. This study by the Parliamentary Budget Officer was requested by Conservative MP Michelle Rempel-Gardner. So, Mark, it will be very interesting to see what the PBO's report has to say this morning. Thanks, Martin. Also today, in Toronto, the government will hold a state funeral for the Right Honourable John Turner. The Prime Minister will attend that service after speaking with the Mayor of Montreal. Later in the day, he'll speak with the new leader of the Green Party, Anime Paul. And Associate Finance Minister Mona Fortier will take part in a virtual town hall organized by the Sault Ste. Marie Chamber of Commerce. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, October the 6th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.